It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Strahda Dundalk and Cavan. Our service departments are open with all HSC and government guidelines in place to keep you and our staff safe. Sales are click and deliver only through our website, blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. Welcome to Late Lunch on International Women's Day. I'm the only guy in sight this afternoon in the show. Yes, it's the fair sex all the way from now until half past three. But boy, have we an interesting line up for you. So boys, don't go anywhere. Stay with us as well. You're most welcome to the show to hear what the girls have to say today. Hope you had a lovely weekend. Wasn't the weather gorgeous? God bless it. It's been great and really helping everybody with loads of people out and about getting exercise and enjoying the uh, early start of springtime. Long may it continue. A little dip in the weather this week I think with some rain coming in but look we're on the way. Longer days you really can see the light now and things are moving in the garden. I'll be telling you more about that later. And of course we're joined by the doyen of organic gardening today, Nikki Kyle. Yemi Adenuga is with us, the first uh, lady to win a seat, the first black councillor uh, to win a seat in County Meath is with us on the show today. Mary McCallan, physiotherapy manager at Lady of Lourdes Hospital. She was on the front line for this last year. No better woman to have a chat with today and reflect on the year gone by. If you want to get in touch with us on the show, don't forget the numbers 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text or 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call in. Now... No need to say it. We're all tired of the restrictions we've had to endure this last year. And yes, it's been challenging, I know, to say the least. But for some, being confined or restricted is a way of life. The sisters of Siena Convent on the outskirts of Drogheda are Dominican nuns who live a life of confinement, prayer, study and work within their walls and gardens. And a little earlier today, I spoke with Sister Neve Galvin and began by asking her if, given the lives the community lead, did they miss anything during this last 12 months of lockdown? Primarily, really, we miss the company of people coming in and out of the chapel. I mean, it has affected our personal, I mean, visits or people calling to the door. I mean, the front door has been closed since a year ago now. I think it was two days before St. Patrick's Day we had our last public mass and... I think it was the last public mass in the town because a lot of people came to mass that would normally go somewhere else, but there was nowhere else open and then we closed. So that was about the 15th of March. So it was coming on for a year. So the main impact for us on a, on that kind of level is just not seeing people who have become our friends because, I mean, I suppose we have, we have so many friends in the town, we just haven't seen so many of them. So we miss people and we miss 
people being in the chapel praying and that kind of thing. So that is the way really your contact happens with the outside world, people calling there, visiting, yeah. uh, because as we know, you rarely leave where you live. Now, on that theme, you know, of being confined, yes. how do you find it? How do you fill your day? Is your day absolutely full? It is, you know, surprisingly enough. It's hard to describe to people because it's a... I'm on one level, even for myself, it's a mysterious type of life. And the vocation is quite peculiar because we're called to be, in a certain sense, alone with God. The word nun comes from the Latin word moniales, which is similar to the word for the male kind of counterpart of what we do or who are the monks. And that has to do with, you know, the word mono means one. So it has to do with being sort of one alone with God. And that's a unique kind of a calling. And because we're human and we're meant to be social creatures and as everybody realises how much the social contact is so important. The day is quite full because here, I mean, our work is happens within the four walls of the monastery and our recreation and our exercises on the grounds of the monastery. So from a point of view of lockdown, it hasn't made a huge impact on our work because it still is busy. The The we're still doing what we have always done and then our main work is our prayer and our adoration of Jesus in the chapel and everywhere we go I suppose in the house like for us as Dominicans we talk about the word of God in St John's Gospel he says the word became flesh and dwelt among us so Jesus for us is a one way of our seeing him is as the word so we're trying to our life is trying to listen to him speak to us and listen to him in the gospels and listen to him in all the scriptures and then listen to him in the voices of the people around us. His wisdom and his his word is spoken through everybody, really. I mean, you can find traces of him everywhere. Our life is all about him. And then everything we do is directed towards praising him and thanking him, you know, worshipping him. Um, the prayers, as I said, is the main thing. And that begins at five in the morning and it keeps going on through the day kind of ceaselessly until about half past ten at night. And then from after Mass every day we have exposition of the Blessed Sacrament. So Jesus is on the altar from about half nine until after our evening prayer, which is about, finishes at about seven o'clock. So our main work is, happens there in the chapel and people pass their time of adoration either by praying, we might pray the rosary, um, or read scriptures or read some spiritual books just to help us keep our minds filled more with things of God than, you know, unnecessary things that are things that will send us in the wrong direction or get us, you know. Besides, you know, the prayer and contemplation, which you do, and is, is yeah. a key part of your calling. You have a garden there, there's cooking to be done, there's exactly, other yeah. tasks as and well. And then we have different, we call them departments within the house. So yeah. a lot of sisters are assigned to have responsibility for the care of different departments. So the sacristy would be one, the laundry would be another one. The kitchen obviously is one. And then we have a printing department where we make cards. There's a few very gifted artistic sisters in the house, maybe not professionally trained, but they certainly have a flair for it. And we, they make some make candles and design. And there's a lot of craft work. Then one of our sisters is brilliant at knitting and she'll create all kinds of things. So it's wonderful to see that kind of activity goes on. And then we mm. have one sister who would be assigned 
to be the primary caregiver for older sisters who have more needs, you know, for getting around and that kind of thing. You, you mentioned you, you missed people calling. How do you keep in contact with the outside world? I'm thinking of like the likes of radio, television, newspapers, online, of course, and perhaps yes. contact with family and friends. Well, at this time of year, it's Lent, so our, our kind of focus mainly is a more intense being with the Lord, you know, so we we restrict our our family contact at this time of year. It's one kind of, I suppose you'd call it kind of, kind of a penance. We give up being too involved with families at this time of year during Lent and then for the few weeks leading up to Christmas too. The Advent period is another time when okay. we try it. Yeah. But normally then you'd have well, letters, but we're not, we haven't, we're not really a world of letter writers anymore. The email and the electronic communication is much more popular. Some of us still write letters. I try now and again, you know, because I prefer a letter to the email. And, you know, but if I'm not great at letter writing, I'm not that great at emails either, you know. And then the phone, but we try and keep the phone free because people ring for prayers and that's kind of more yes. important, you know, than just mm. the social chat with the family at home. And You're well aware of what's going on in Ireland and the world because you do yeah. dip into news, don't you? We do. Keep in touch. We have a television in the house. We don't have it on during the day, but we put it on for the news to see what's just even and some sisters get you know when they're working at their computers they'll get headlines of what's happening and sometimes that's enough to know what's going on we know of course what's happening and then people who are ringing for prayers the little troubles are as important as the big ones the global ones as well you know so i have to say the older i get the more in despair i am at times about this world that we live in and all the awful things that go on how, how do you reconcile that with your love of god that's the thing, I suppose. It's something we think about because it's so important for us. I mean, and we say that God is love and he is, you know, and God is beauty and God is truth. All of these things are important and they're, they're true. And yet what's happening in the world and why is he letting it happen? And and this seems to me, I don't know if it's a fair, a fair thing to say. Sometimes we seem to have become a people who are very quick to blame others for misfortunes or whatever do you know mm. i don't know if that's fair it's probably and it's not universally true but it, the world seems to me sometimes to become a very angry kind of place no I, I don't think you're being unfair at all i think you're being uh, absolutely honest the other yeah. thing is the motto of your order is truth that's yeah. what the motto is and we've yeah. seen especially you know in the usa and the, the last four years where truth seems to have gone out the window or it's been mm-hmm. bent or twisted without truth and honesty in the world we're in big trouble aren't we obviously we are and then for us you know truth is a person it's not just something that i can make up so that i can live with myself happily enough that doesn't sound very fair either but i think truth is a huge thing obviously as you say it's our motto so and it's something that would have attracted me to when i knew that it was a motto of the order i found it very attractive and when saint dominic began the order about 800 and odd years ago. He died 800 years ago. This year he died, so a bit before that, he, he when he founded the order. His inspiration was also an absence of truth among people, you know, who had, where he was, where he found himself, people had twisted the truth of the gospel because they were, weren't impressed with the carry-on of the clergy at the time. You know, it was, they were getting a little bit distant from the people and they were fond of accumulating wealth and you know simony was a problem then and it doesn't seem to have times doesn't don't seem to have changed a huge amount since then oh i get such consolation i'm sure listeners do to hear that because it just shows you it's always been a difficulty in the world even going back then you know and it goes back to adam mm, i think you mm. know i mean even if you don't believe the story of adam and eve it's just from the beginning of humanity 
the temptation to just run away from the truth seems to have been almost irresistible, you know, or an easy temptation to give in to. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It does. It's hard. And I'm, and I'm thinking about it even in the last while, too, you know, as a, an idea about truth, that it does actually take tremendous amount of courage to commit yourself to it, because it's not a world where truth is a welcome kind of it. It's not a welcome concept or idea, ideology, if people call it an ideology. Even if you don't have faith, it's difficult to find the truth mm, mm. because it's so changeable and so like plasticine, really. It can be manipulated. Absolutely, yeah. Look, yeah. You, you mentioned there about your calling to this and the life. You didn't go in young. You had another life. You had an outside life. You were a teacher. What I, happened? How, how was your head turned? Kind of sudden for me. I suppose my motivation all during my life was God in a way. I believed I loved God, but I wasn't too sure if he loved me. Do you know that kind of weight he wanted me because he loved me completely for no other reason, just that I had existence and he wanted me. I had this kind of jaw-dropping moment and it was completely internal. It was like an implosion within me when I realised what I had to do was give myself to God. And there was a, a tremendous moment of liberation and then aftershock. What age did you enter at? I was 28. And how, how long are you there now? I'm 16 years last November. Mm. Can I ask you this? Did you ever have any doubt during that time, those six, seven years before you took your final vows? I'd say it's normal to have them. And usually the doubts come up when you're struggling with yourself, if that makes sense. It can be going on fine for a while and things come up and then the nature of our life, and people are noticing it now with the lockdown and not being able to get out. I mean, we're so much on our own and we call our rooms our cells. It's not like a prison cell, but it's the same words. But for us, and when you think of it in a scientific way, but I never did science in school, but a cell is, it's a life-giving sort of a thing. Our bodies are full of blood cells, so our cells are like, this is our place where the life kind of happens. As with anything, you know, a life that's going to survive has to struggle to survive, and we have to go through struggles, and the fundamental struggles are really with ourselves. But if the call is there, the vocation is there, the doubts, the doubts, God, he seems to let them happen. And in terms of the community now, you mm. mentioned you entered, what, 16 years ago yes. at this stage. Are women coming to the Dominican order still? Here, not so much now. When I entered, a, one girl came the following year and she stuck it out, but she was quite determined to be a nun. She's a year behind me. When I was making my solemn profession in 2010, another girl had entered we have two in the novitiate, so we have a novitiate now. They're not as young as we would have been when we entered. I suppose we'd like a few more, but we'll take them as they come, but they'll be given to us. You can fish all you like, but the Lord is the one that... Will sent. provide. You are somebody who is very content. I get that from you in your life. You love the life you lead. You have mm-hmm. a great commitment to it. You know, for others listening today, they say, oh my word, that is just something really, really special. Are you exceptional? Not a bit... <laughs> When I was small, I had a conversation with my mother and she was talking about somebody she knew who, with whom she grew up during the summers, who one year, anyway, she met her and she, she told them that she was going to be a nun when she grew up. And mom said that she seemed to change a little bit. The childishness sort of went out of her and she wasn't as much fun or she all of a sudden kind of grew up. And I remember the conversation. I don't know if mom re- would remember it now, but it, it made a huge impression on me because at the time I heard it, I said, oh, well, I'm never going to be a nun if, if you have to change. 
you know. Mm. So it put it, it put the idea of being on out of my head. Whether it had been there before, I don't know, but it certainly put it out of my head completely. If I thought coming to a monastery or becoming an on would make you have to change who you were, and it's still it's true, you know. I mean, if we do change, it's the Lord that works the change, and if we're aspiring to be holy. He's the one that does the work. It's not ourselves. You know, we're very normal and we have quite normal conversations and quite normal poking fun at each other and that kind of thing. So we're we're very, and some of us feel we're very far from holy and <laughs> looking around sometimes. And you think, you know, you can put on the act, but it's not authentic and you can see through it. So there's no point trying. It's not holy at all. God help. Some of the older ones are, you know, mm. and they're wonderful. Mm. And some of their holiness is genuine. And, but yeah. Thank you for your time. Wish all the sisters well there. It's a pleasure. Hopefully, Thank you, Ariel. Hopefully, it won't be long before visitors call again we to Sienna. We can open the doors so we we'll look yes, forward to visiting. Yes, day. and yeah. keep and up the great work yeah. because you provide a wonderful service to the wider community here. And do one thing for me before you go. Mm-hmm. Will you say a prayer for us? We need it. Absolutely. Well, I tell you, before I do that, I'd just like to say as well to thank you for for inviting us to talk to you and to wish everybody in Drogheda our love. We're praying for everybody. God bless you, Sister Neve. Okay, thank God you for bless. joining me on the show today. Okay. It's been fantastic. I wish you all again well in Siena. Thank you. And we pray, keep you in our prayers. Ah, it's good to hear, isn't it? Isn't she just lovely? Uh, that's an abridged version of our conversation a little earlier today, Sister Neve Galvin. And in our podcast later on, I'll include the full conversation that we had. But you, you get the feel for it there, don't you? They are missing uh, the Siena nuns, people calling. And, you know, they had their daily mass there and people could drop in. And they have a huge following, I know, in the Drogheda and greater Drogheda area. They're so well regarded and they live an amazing life. They really do. And I thank Sister Neve Galvin for speaking to me. I felt uplifted after our conversation. I really did. And uh, that's something when somebody can do that to you uh, through their talk and what they say about their lives and the lives that they lead. But thanks again uh, to the prioress there who uh, arranged that for me and to Sister Neve Galvin. It was a real, real pleasure uh, to speak with her. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this afternoon. If you've anything to say, don't forget you can get in touch with us on the show 086-1800-658. You can WhatsApp me here directly to studio or if you want to call in, it's 1850 I mentioned top of the show, spring has certainly sprung. It really has. Um, My little uh, first flush of seeds have appeared in my greenhouse. Put them in about a week ago and I see my little cabbages and my lettuce are up. My tomatoes, I have three or four different varieties. They're up, standing tall as well. It's uh, the little heat of the propagator and the bench makes a huge difference. It really does. And my spuds that I put in a few weeks ago, about 16 pots or 16 to 20 pots, just one in each. Ah, they're peeping as well and my strawberries are on the way. So life is beginning again. The spring is bringing new life as it always does and hope to all of us and let's continue in that vein over the weeks and months ahead because we all need to be as positive as we can. Still to come on Late Lunch this afternoon on International Women's Day. Yemi Adenugas joining us a little bit later on. Yes, we're going to the garden with Nikki Kyle, but with a little difference with Nikki today, just not about garden tasks. And uh, shortly we'll be heading to Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda to speak to Mary McCallan. She's a frontline worker.
Adele, marvellous, marvellous song. Yes, one of my artists of the week earlier on in the year here on Late Lunch. So who is my artist of the week this week? And we're going to talk about her a little bit later on. I never mentioned her when I was telling you what was coming up on the show. But sure, it had to be a woman today with International Women's Day and for the week that's in it as well. So what woman would I pick, do you think, for this week? Give you a clue. Her middle name is Anne. Her middle name is Anne. Who am I talking about? Very plain, ordinary name that, isn't it? Her middle name is Anne. My artist of the week. Who would it be? I'd be interested to see who can pick up on this. And I'll give you another clue in a few minutes to see. Can you get the name of the artist before I tell you all about her? Just have uh, been reading in the last half hour or so something. Well, I'll tell you what it is. Did you know that sitting in front of of an open fire. I love an open fire, I have to say. I have a fire and I light it generally in round the Christmas New Year time and it got very cold in the spring and I love it. I absolutely love it. But listen to this, sitting in front of a fire that just after announcing is as harmful to your lungs as sitting in rush hour traffic and a car beating out stuff from its exhaust pipe sitting in front of you. What about this? It's the Irish Heart Foundation and the Asthma Society are saying that people underestimate the risk of cold turf and wet wood in an open fire. Now, I always thought that in the urban areas there was smokeless fuel and has been for years. Maybe somebody would correct me or put me right on that, but that was my impression. Or if I ever burned coal, it's smokeless as well, or briquettes or things like that. But there you go. If people are not burning the right stuff and I know it spews out through the chimney into the atmosphere and I'm sure, of course, that's causing problems. But now they're saying that up to 40% of emissions from open fires stay in the room or the home itself, causing people with these underlying conditions, heart, breathing, asthma, that type of stuff, these conditions, severe problems. God almighty. I never considered this before. I thought all the nasties went up the chimney, not out into the room where you're sitting. Jeez, I don't know what we're going to do. We can't eat, you know, the foods we eat now. We have to be watching uh, what we drink, the air that we breathe. Now the open fire. My, I must uh, see, can we dig up some more on this over the coming days and talk to somebody about it? But they're saying that it it triggers the like of a- uh, the likes of asthma, autoimmune diseases, inflammatory bowel, all those type of things. Wow. Is it the end for the open fire? What do you think? Do you love an open fire? I love an open fire. And I think at some stage, listen, we're all going to pass on from this life anyway. And I know we can do a lot of things to help us remain healthier and fitter and happier for the duration of our lives. And as time uh, clocks on, Oh, God, the open fire. Is that now at an end for us? Is that the little comfort and joy that we had? What are we going to do? Burn logs. Logs are an alternative for sure. And uh, what about the uh, good fuels that you can burn? The uh, smoke-free coal and that. I have to find out more about this. It's just appeared, this uh, story, in the last hour. So if you have a thought, do you have an open fire? Do you light an open fire? Do you enjoy it? Let me know. My artist of the week was born on the 28th of May. Maybe that'll get it for you, will you? My artist of the week. She's a woman. I love her. Anyway, late lunch, LMFM radio, heading to news and weather at two. And afterwards, we're heading to our Lady of Lourdes Hospital and a frontline worker. Ah, oh, Jerry, no, says a listener. There's nothing like an open fire. The only thing I miss from my family home. I love going to my sister Sally's house or the family home 
to a real fire. I think that comes in from Breach to me this afternoon. Thank you indeed. Oh, Kieran, you're on the ball with me, Artist of the Week. You are indeed, Kieran. You have her in one. But I'm not going to say who it is to the rest of them just yet. I'll give them another clue and see how we go on that. And there's somebody, a couple there, off the mark altogether. But Kieran has it for sure. Now, if there are one group who've been exposed to COVID-19 more than most, it's frontline healthcare workers. No working from home or cocooning for them as they stared the pandemic in the eye every day. So on International Women's Day, it's wholly appropriate we hear from a woman at the coalface this past year. I'm delighted to say hello to the physiotherapy manager at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda, Mary McCallan. Hello, Mary. Hi, Jerry. How are you? Thanks for having me. Not at all. I'm so delighted to speak to you and honour you and all those at the coalface, men or women. But today it is Women in Focus with the day that's in it. Mary, can I go back a year ago, which we're celebrating this anniversary around now, the early days of COVID. Mary, what was it like? Yeah, so I suppose it all changed for us. Um, I Just to give a context here, I was a manager just four months at the time. And um, I suppose on the 12th of March, uh, two weeks previous to that, we had had preparation meetings here with senior management in the Lourdes just about the potential of COVID and how we would have a surge plan and deal with it. So we knew it was coming, but I suppose on the 12th, whenever that it all started with the schools being closed, and then I suppose it ramped up um, from there. So just to give a bit of context here in the Lourdes, I, uh, there are 40 physiotherapists and we're across various area, areas from orthopaedics to stroke to care of the older person, paediatrics, oncology, women's health. And that's in patients and outpatients. So I suppose from our perspective, it was just, um, first of all, gauging where the staff, how the staff felt about it. Um, you know, we were looking at international media and seeing from our colleagues worldwide, I suppose that we're a few weeks ahead of us, what we had to do to prepare for this. So it was more so just we knew that respiratory physio was going to be one of the things, along with rehab. So it was just among our staff, I suppose, to link with nationally and internationally to find out what type of refresher training we had to do. And of course, it was all the mandatory training and infection control and just to see was there any additional um, equipment needs that that we could potentially plan for in the coming months ahead. Mm. So life changed immeasurably and when you mentioned there your team, they work across all disciplines, in-house and outpatients as well, so it's a, a huge task to keep everybody safe and well your staff of course uh, the, the safety paramount What about PPE in the early days because we covered it extensively here there was a shortage, was that a real concern or did you know that you were lacking in that area? Um, I wouldn't say, I, I suppose, again, media was saying that, that PPE was a potential shortage. Mm. But I have to admit here on the ground, um, I would say there was a little bit of apprehension, apprehension more so because we were finding out weekly what was coming down the line to us in the form of PPE. And it was just to make staff mindful that we were using the appropriate PPE and there wasn't going to be a lot of waste. Um, from PPE shortage, I must admit on the ground, not really. Um, okay. I guess, 
Yeah, I guess there there was always that fear that it was going to run out. And I think that was more the media hype of supplies of PPE. But Mm. on the ground, we we had enough PPE. You had what you needed. Yeah, Yeah, which is which is great to hear. And it's a basic requirement when you're in a situation like you are. Come back to the point I made there. You know, your responsibility for all of those uh, staff members of yours and, of course, the safety of patients uh, across the board. Were you fearful? Oh yes, Jerry. Fearful is a is a, a understatement. Now I think it was just um, there was a lot of overwhelm, and I suppose at, at the time it was just decision overload. Like decisions were being made on my behalf, along with the senior management here on my colleague Celine. It was just decisions on the hour, and I suppose you were always saying how we could continue to provide care to our patients. Um, and, and, and to not compromise patient care, but at the same stage, make sure that staff, A, you had enough staff, I suppose, that were safe and, and their well-being was paramount. And then B, you were always cognizant that at any stage, a staff member could become a close contact um, or could be involved kind of in an outbreak on the wards and then how that would have an impact on on the rest of the staff. So it was day by day. And I suppose you were always looking at the phone going, oh, goodness, like by tomorrow, will there be any staff shortages? And who will I pull from? And it was just making sure that staff well-being and I suppose safety was paramount at all times, but that you could still deliver care. Because I think it was important to highlight, I suppose, from a musculoskeletal um, point of view, you know, primary care and community care changed in somewhat. So a lot of those resources were um, put out to swabbing. So that had a knock-on effect in that the demand for physiotherapy from a musculoskeletal and outpatient's point of view definitely changed. Um, So it was in order how we could continue to provide that care and and just have a chance, I suppose, to reflect. But it was decision overload on the hour. We were very lucky here that, I suppose, one of our colleagues um, had a master's in or an undergrad in IT so we were able to actually, with the support of management, to kind of brainstorm and start delivering care via telehealth. Mm. So um, that in itself brought its own, you know, it was, was staff yes. familiar with the platform and mm. would we get upskilled and... I suppose there was a lot of telephones back and forth to senior management about getting the equipment to provide telecare. But I must admit, everybody has just rose to the challenge and have just brainstormed on the hour, every hour. Um, You know, nothing has ever been a problem. And whether it was proning with our colleagues in ICU and training our respiratory colleagues, um, just, I suppose, on all the oxygen machines, you know, it has been one of those things that it has evolved so much, but there has been a lot of positive change. Yes, yeah, so everybody stepped up to the mark across the board, management, staff, everybody in all the disciplines, and it's fantastic to hear that. And we know that. We do realise it. You obviously had to deal with COVID cases. It, you couldn't have gone a year without some staff members uh, actually contracting COVID. Yes, um, I suppose early on, we the workforce planning was that we made the decision just to go into bubbles. So I suppose prior to that, a lot of our physios would, you know, if they were in a discipline looking after, say, strokes, there, there would have been strokes throughout the hospital. So you could have had one staff member that was nearly visiting six or seven um, wards. And I suppose, again, with, with patient safety and paramedic staff, we had to kind of look at how best we could protect staff. So we went into bubble work and so it just meant that I suppose you had two physios seeing everything on the ward. Um, 
we were very lucky because that that meant, I suppose, making that decision early on. It it has meant that we've only had three staff um, that have contracted to COVID, and okay. luckily enough, all of them have been mild. Um, so we're very lucky in that in that respect. Um, but yeah, it it is constantly, I suppose, keeping up with the guidelines and making sure that staff are risk assessing everywhere they go. So that has kind of become mm. the norm now. Yeah, good to hear too. Um, when you talk about the waves of this and we're in the third now, what was the worst time? Could I say that January this year was the worst of the lot? Yes, yeah, I definitely would agree with you that. Um, I think, you know, the first time we had a few weeks um, before patients started presenting and we were fully prepared, we had time to train, we had time to maybe um, go into 12-hour shifts just to see, to reduce footfall in the department. Um, but I think, I suppose, January of this year, it was just staff are tired, understandably. And I think, I suppose, even given the numbers here in, in Our Lady of Lourdes, they, they rose dramatically compared to, I suppose, last March. Um, and I think, to be honest, just the isolation from family and friend, friends and more so just the fact that patient, that um, physios and all the staff here had to keep on going and just give it their all. Um, so you have to remember, I suppose, staff outside of work have the homeschooling, they have elderly parents. And I think as a manager, you have to be aware of that, that they're coming in and they're given 100%. And the team here have just, I've, I've serious praise for all of them, um, both within physio and I suppose all our colleagues in early day of Lourdes, because the patient's always forefront of it. But you do, you did see tiredness on, on, on mm. all staff's faces now yes. in January and February. And the numbers, uh, of course, going to unprecedented levels in terms of cases and, and hospitalisations. Um, in, in terms of the Lourdes Hospital, which is the regional hospital here in our area, um, you went up, is, is the, the number four, four wards? Actually, at its worst case, there were four full wards dedicated to COVID, but that's uh, receded now again. Yes, so um, I think we actually reached six wards Did you? at one stage. Yeah. Really, um, really. But that has went back down. And I guess, you know, there is some joy with, with vaccinations now. And I think with numbers decreasing, but I suppose it's business as usual in that I suppose the activity would still be ongoing on a day-to-day basis. So we still have our inpatient um, caseload. Fractures are still occurring. So all of the fracture clinics and I guess even though it's great that that COVID per se is reducing in numbers, you know, it's one of those things that there there will be our daily activity of normal um, yeah. waiting lists. And I think from that, it's just to remember, remind staff to try and take rest and to recuperate as, as best as possible because, yeah. you know, it, it's it's business as usual and um, COVID will come down, but it's just to be mindful that staff have kind of been through this marathon for the last year and it's not over. You know, every day we're, we're, we're looking at numbers and hoping that we are um, over the worst of it. And I suppose we have to remain optimistic and hopeful that, you know, the surge is over and that we'll there's brighter days ahead. What do you say, uh, how do you feel when you see people and hear people and, you know, this is going online who say this is a fallacy, it's not real, we shouldn't be getting too panicky about it, uh, not wearing masks, breaking the rules. How do you feel as a frontline worker with all of that type of stuff? Um, yeah, I suppose that's a difficult one because 
It's only when you are frontline um, and you see the cases and, you know, we've all been in intensive care and continue to see that. And I think it's when you actually see what patients are going through now and not having their family members come into the hospital. It, I, I suppose I take it, I find it difficult to understand that the evidence is there and yet we're seeing this frontline. But I think like every walk of life, you know, you will have people that have certain opinions um, and that's 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 okay, but I suppose it's disheartening. Um, myself and my husband are both frontline, and I, I suppose even just our circumstances, we both have families. I suppose I'm Tyrone, and, and my husband's Dublin, and we've three small kids, and I've had to homeschool. And it's even that, it's the knock-on effect it has had on us personally and our home life and not seeing our family. But then I suppose outside of that, it's, it's more so the patient when you see patients and the change and just us holding loved ones' hands because they can't get family members in. It definitely, I think it, it, it definitely puts things into perspective. You mentioned there as well, of course, you're a mom and uh, your husband is a dad and you work and you have those children. Uh, I did mention in the introduction, you know, Healthcare frontline staff and all staff in the healthcare business, there was no question of really, you know, working online or cocooning or staying at home and there's children to be minded. Huge challenge. You you just had to get on with it and make arrangements. Yeah, you certainly do. And um, as I said, I have three little girls. So uh, Grace is six and Jenna is eight and Hannah's nine. And yeah, so so that that was probably the added stress. But we were were absolutely delighted that we have a very good um, childminder, yeah. Caroline, and she really pulled out all the stops. So it was just to myself and James, you know, what what do I need to do, and how can I help? So she made, I suppose, from our girls' point of view, she made it COVID free and fun. And it was normal for them, and we just made sure our weekends or our evenings that we went out and we'd done the Zoom calls with nannies and cousins and I suppose just to make it as normal for them yes. as possible. But mm. the added stress of that now, we'd, I would be lying if I if I um, yeah. said that that was plain sailing because it was just after your day's work mm. to go home and, and I suppose do what was best for everybody as well. Yes, and coming from a, a what it was a very a fraught with danger situation on the front line. But I, you mentioned somebody there, and I want to mention them today. Those wonderful people who did uh, step up and mind children for front uh, line healthcare workers as well. We've got to mention those and remember those uh, people for their brilliant support, which was just essential as well. So the vaccines are here, and uh, the hospital, I believe, most of hospital have been covered at this stage. Maybe some awaiting the second dose or whatever. A game changer, Mary. Absolutely, yeah. You can see that even though, as I said, staff are tired, understandably, you can see that there is, um, both with the long evenings, as you mentioned there, there is definitely a a sense of optimism and hope. And I suppose, you know, it's one of those things that it does put into perspective. We can always look back and reflect on this and there will definitely be changes. And I suppose from our team, there has definitely been good changes out of this in that you know, as I mentioned, the, the telehealth or the early support yes. discharge of getting patients home earlier and monitored. Um, you know, a lot of that being able to, to teach kind of our COPD patients virtually now. So there will be changes from definitely from a physio perspective that COVID has, um, I suppose, allowed and that hospital management here has supported. So that's good for the patients in these areas going forward because mm. it's definitely allowed us to 
I suppose, trial things out because we were forced to. But at the same stage, I suppose, not go back to just the way we worked before. Yes, new ways of working have come out of this for yourselves and many other aspects of life across the board. Well, look, I, I thank you for your time today and you are representing a, a big group there in the hospital and across the country of frontline healthcare workers in many aspects of life. And just before you go, I want to say congratulations to you and your team uh, because you've been award winners there in the National Healthcare Awards last year and in the Royal uh, College of Surgeons Quality and Patient Safety Improvement Awards this year you've been acknowledged. That must be pleasing. It is. It's fantastic. It's, it's really, I suppose, to be acknowledged, um, both the hospital and the good work and support of management, but especially the team on the ground, because day in, day out, they just have come in. It's always, what can we do? You know, they, they, they totally are committed and they're very courageous. So I think it's always nice to get recognition for the people on the ground that are doing the good work. So, yeah, it's excellent. Uh, and onwards and upwards, let's hope there's a few more awards. In, in Please, the God, there will be. And finally, Mary, uh, uh, for you, uh, I want to say that you, uh, and I know this, are an outstanding leader in your field and your commitment and teamwork and uh, support for your staff. And I just can't say enough. I know how good you are. And across all the disciplines and departments there in the hospital through the pandemic, your work has been outstanding and I know you're a champion uh, of the profession and your patient care and putting others first is acknowledged widely and I want to acknowledge you and what you've done during this last year on Late Lunch here on LMFM Radio this afternoon and thank you. Thank you, Jerry. I'm one small part in a, in a big in a big machine I know. here in the Lords and everybody, everybody has done fantastic. They have indeed. Mary thank McCallan, you thank much. you so much for joining me on Late Lunch today. Bye-bye. Take care. Isn't she brilliant? She's a wonderful, wonderful lady. And those words I say there are so true about her. She's simply brilliant. She really is. And they have been there for us, you and me, folks, right through the last year. And as you heard Mary saying there, the vaccine is a game changer. But this hasn't gone away. It really hasn't gone yet. Just to bear those things in mind. On International Women's Day, you're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Oh, you're getting there now with me, Artist of the Week for sure, Geraldine Cahill. Hello to everybody in Minolte this afternoon. Fidel McKeeran's on the ball as well with who it is. Yes, uh, she is a pint-sized performer, isn't she? From Down Under, yes, she certainly is. And uh, I'll tell you who it is. You nearly have it now, haven't you, at this stage? Late Lunch, LMFM Radio. It's time for Anne-Marie and 2002, is it? Going back to... Yes, 2002 and Anne-Marie on your Late Lunch on International Women's Day. I don't know who sent me this. I'll check out in a moment. But they've sent me an extract from the Navin... Carpets Employee Handbook 1971. Just come in and WhatsApp to me there. And it says, Jerry, just read this and it'll show you how times have changed. Okay? It says, There are opportunities for work with us for married women, but usually they must have worked with us before their marriage. When you leave us, we hope you will remember. Uh, your stay with us uh, as, as a time to look back on with pleasure. We hope you will always remember the company's products and when your children 
are of an age, you will encourage them to start a career with Navin Carpets Limited. How about that? My oh my, times have changed. Thank you so much. I just, I'll see in a moment who sent me that one, but it's just come in on WhatsApp there. It does just show you how the world has changed in that time. Thank you indeed. Oh, Jerry, come on. I don't believe it. Sweets, chocolate, butter. The open fire now gone. Is there anything we can have anymore that's not bad for us? It'll be sex next, Jerry, that's gone. (laughs) Speak for yourselves. (laughs) God almighty, memories, memories. Uh, Jerry, I think it's Kylie. Jerry, I love your show, says Ursula Dundalk. We love you too, Ursula, that you're with us today on The Late Lunch. Yes, it is. Miss Kylie Minogue is my Artiste of the Week. Who else could it be on International Women's Day? My fave, of course it is. And we're going to hear the Kylie story right through the week this week. And we'll play some of our wonderful songs for you. What about Meghan and Harry? I don't think you could watch it in this neck of the woods last night. You had to pay subscriptions to... Uh, the uh, channels in the States but it's on this evening you can watch it here this evening On it's on uh, the Irish networks and the UK networks this evening you can watch the whole thing in full I don't know about you and you know I am a royalist I do have an admiration for the royal family especially Charles to be honest with you um, he's a countryman and I love the countryside myself and very much into nature etc um, I don't know I think when you're Meghan Markle and you sign a contract and sign up with the club. There are rules and regulations. She knew what she was getting into. Now, listen, I'm not condoning anybody being abused or harassed for uh, the colour of their skin, for their religion, for their sexual orientation. Nothing like that. I would never, ever condone that. Never, ever, ever. But, you know, when you do sign into the family and you know what it's about and the history that goes with it and the restrictions and parameters there are there... God, you don't go in there with eyes wide shut, do you? That's just my belief. I don't know what you think. That's my impression. And if they want privacy and to get out of the public eye and live their lives, why the hell are they talking to Oprah Winfrey in the name of God? Jesus, you just fade away into the sunset. Why do they have to come out and talk about it and stir it up again? That's what gets me. I just... I don't know. I'm not convinced. I really ain't convinced, to be honest with you. But there you are. If you have anything to say, it'll be on this evening. Anyway, I'm sure we'll be talking about it tomorrow. Let me know. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show. 1857-15958 if you'd like to call in. Up next, she's a regular of ours and I just decided on International Women's Day, I want to acknowledge her again. She's the queen of organic, the queen of green. Nikki Kyle next. Yes, thanks to Anton McCabe who sent me that little extract from the employee's handbook from Navin Carpets back to 1971. So interesting. Appreciated, Anton. Jerry, it's easy to figure out about Harry and uh, Megan. Uh, they're chasing the book, says a listener. Well, they'll get a few bucks for that interview last night, I'm sure. A lot beyond as well. But really, would Harry have to chase the bucks, being uh, who he is and part of the family? I don't know. But anyway, thank you for your uh, thought on the Meghan, uh, Markle and Prince Harry story, which will roll on. Now it's time to talk to another wonderful woman on International Women's Day. And you know her well. She's a great friend of mine. I have such admiration for her. And I thought today, going to have a chat with her. Nikki Kyle, welcome to the show. 
very happy spring, everybody. It was a lovely morning. I don't know where it's gone. <laughs> it's disappeared. I know it's got dull. It was getting dull and me on the way here. But never a dull moment with Nikki Kyle. And I know, I know you're going to give us a few little hints and tips for this time of year, which you'd normally do in this segment with me. But I wanted today to talk to you and uh, about yourself on this special day. Nikki, when did you come to, you know, gardening or gardening come to you? long story because I, I, I was lucky enough to grow up on a very small farm in the UK um, with wonderful orchards and, and a kitchen garden where we produced most of our food so um, you know that, that was sort of always with me really and almost the first scent I remember is the greenhouse full of tomatoes uh, and every year my first smell of tomato leaves takes me instantly back to that um, but you know I came to Ireland uh, because I was involved in horses and um, when my first child was born, she had very serious allergies, and, and our GP, who was really very unusually enlightened for the time, um, said that she needed chemical-free food, but I couldn't find any. So I read everything I could uh, on organic gardening, um, especially the books of Lawrence Hills, and taught myself to grow food. Um, you know, and, and that's sort of where I basically started, because it was, it was a case of I had to. I had no choice. Um, and having grown up in a lovely garden, I, I was never allowed to have anything to do with the garden. But, you know, I ate all the lovely stuff that came out of it. So it was sort of always there. And then when my kids went to Montessori, um, their friends' parents couldn't believe that their children would eat vegetables at my house that they wouldn't eat at home. And I said, well, it was because it, they were organic and, and much sweeter because they weren't full of chemicals. And, and they asked if they could buy some of my produce. And, you know, we weren't terribly well off at the time. And I thought, well, that's not a bad idea. So <laughs> that's how I first became one of the, the, the first organic growers in, in Ireland mm. in the early 1980s. It's a great story. It really is. And that is a fact. Uh, through the children of others coming to you, the Absolutely. parents couldn't believe it. I know this. I've, uh, you've been telling me this great story before. But it's lovely to tell our listeners and put them in the picture with this on this special day. Now, your daughter, obviously, then you saw her straight away by growing organically and growing your own. It made a difference to her health. This is important to get across to people. Uh, well, it, it is. Um, and my father sadly died very young. He was only 50 when he died. And he was a wonderful man, very keen amateur naturalist and, and really introduced me to nature and, and Robins in particular, which I still love. Um, and sadly, that, that uh, we still don't really know what happened, but, but we think it may have been chemicals that he handled during the war. So I was pretty sort of anti-chemical anyway. Mm. And um, then to see how my daughter literally thrived, and I started making kefir, which was brilliant, which I got through uh, a friend in, in the, the Montessori school. Um, and that was wonderful for her as well, um, making my own yogurt. Um, then I went on to, to, to sort of produce organic eggs and chickens and then started the first box scheme in Dublin, in fact, possibly Ireland, um, in the mid-1980s. And I had four polytunnels supplying the Dublin Food Corp and Quinsworth, if you remember them, yes. uh, as well. Um, but also through joining the HDRA in the 70s, um, I, you know, they're now renamed Garden Organic. I'd become aware of, of the loss of vegetable seed varieties um, because of the big agrochemical seed companies taking over the smaller ones. Um, and I decided to sort of try raising awareness of that here. Um, so that's when I started holding sort of pumpkin, potato and tomato days at various venues um, 
including the Botanic Gardens, and that eventually, uh, that's the late 80s and early 90s, and that eventually led to the terrific, totally terrific Tomato Festival, which now I'm happy to say is, is in the National Botanic Gardens. Mm. You've been uh, at the heart of so much and many of the oh. developments that have happened. I have to say that and acknowledge it today in, in this country. But look, at come, come back to yeah. the, 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 the point here. You know, we, we've heard for many a day, you know, and... Uh, that uh, converting to the organic way is a difficult transition and wouldn't be practical on a, you know, a greater scale. What do you say to that argument? Well, I think it's total rubbish, quite frankly. Fair enough. <laughs> you know me, Jerry. I'm a perfectly practical person. I'm prepared to work hard and it's not easy. Uh, it, it is hard work. And you have to understand how it works, how nature, every, everything in nature works together. And you also have to trust nature that it will work. You know, if you see a few green fly, don't rush out with the, the bug spray and spray them immediately. Just leave nature to take its course. And in a few days, you'll find there's blue tits and robins and all sorts of things come and eat them. And other bugs come and eat them. And that's how nature works. Everything depends on everything else. And it's all part of the food chain. And once you learn that, it's a total revelation. And it's wonderful to see nature at work. So without resorting to anything at all, bar the natural supplements and foods and the producing of your own compost and stuff like that, it is possible to nurture Mother Earth that she becomes so productive and it's a circle. It just goes round all the way and doesn't damage. No, it's, it's wonderful and it's wonderful to see it all really working. I mean, the, the answer truly does lie in the soil and that's a very old expression I think first came out in, in the, the sort of wartime, you know, Second World War. I think somebody called Mr. Middleton on the radio used to say that, funnily enough. Um, but it does. The answer does lie in the soil and the more damage we do to soil and the further away we get from nature in how we produce our food uh, and what we eat, um, the more unhealthy both humans and the planet are becoming. Is the penny dropping with government? Because government, look, it, it's within the remit of government to uh, make laws and legislate for this area as well as everything else it does in life. But, you know, you have massive companies who have a lot of power. I don't have to tell you this yep. worldwide that dictate a lot. And, you know, they're hard to take on, like the social media giants. You're hearing about that in the news at the moment. But is the penny dropping? Can you see a transformation happening? Not a transformation. It's it's very very slow. But I mean, actually, I just heard this morning um, that the German government have decided to ban glyphosate uh, from 2024. So farmers have actually got to find other ways of dealing with weeds uh, and dealing with the other reasons they use glyphosate. Uh, and it is possible. You know, organic farmers are very successful. There's never been such demand for organic produce, and we really need to produce more. And you know, if the government had half an ounce of, of cop on between them, frankly, they, w they would have, you know, converted a lot more people to organic 10 years ago because they could see what was happening. But unfortunately, as you say, the big agrochemical companies do have a vast amount uh, of, um, you know, uh, lobbying power, not just at, at the government level, but at EU level. Uh, and they're in every, uh, you know, um, agricultural research station that they're, they're there sort of giving advice and supporting various things and also paying for research which naturally um doesn't uh, say damaging things about them so you know it's it's 
it's all of the piece, really, and, and it, it's going to take a while. But actually, we need to convert. We need to do it the faster, the better. And farmers can do it. I mean, you know, if any farmer's listening now, just phone up the Organic Trust. I was one of the founders of the Organic Trust in the early 1990s, and they are one of the most successful organic certification organizations here now. Um, and also, IOFCA, who I was a former director of IOFCA, they also certify uh, organic produce, organic farmers. Um, you know, get in touch with them and find out about it. You know, we need more organic produce. Mm. More and more people are getting allergies. More and more people are getting cancers and getting sick. And I'm not saying it's an overnight miracle cure. Natural cures take a long time. The same, just the same way that, that you know, that the poisons uh, from um, pesticide sprays and things like that actually take a long time to build up in your system mm. and eventually cause problems. But, you know, I mean, the one thing... People always say, the first thing they say when they're not well is, I wish I'd eat more healthily, very often. Too late yeah. then? Too late in the day if you don't well, make the change? it's better yeah. late than now. Oh, yes, I, yes that's a good now. point. Yeah. Do it immediately. It's never, it's never too late. As a woman in this world that you operate in, um, have you ever found that to be a disadvantage to you, to your voice and to your philosophy and thinking? I don't honestly think I have. I think probably organic people in generally in organic circles are much more accepting um, uh, of women. Uh, and you get the odd one. I mean, you know, there's always the odd uh, male who actually doesn't like strong women, but I think that's probably the same throughout society. Yes. Um, and I'm fairly strong woman. I have fairly strong views, as you know, and I'm not back within uh, you know, <laughs> holding forth on them if I think something's wrong. Um, but I think in general, no, I think organic people are much more accepting um, of women. Yes. Yeah, that's really good to hear. Now, look at, we've a couple of minutes to go before we, you yeah. leave us. Have you a few little pointers for the gardeners who are hanging on your every word out there at this time of the year? What should we be at for the the vegetable, the organic vegetable garden this week or next week? Well, I'll tell you what I'm doing straight away because the ground has dried out quite a lot in the last few days. I'm going to cover that right now. Either cover it with, you know, polythene or something waterproof to stop it because we're going to get rain at the end of this week. Cover it now. Um, and then uh, every couple of days, uncover it for a few minutes. Take the scissors out with you and you know what I'm going to say. If you find any slugs there, snip them up and leave them for the birds to deal with. The blackbirds and thrushes will be so grateful for them. And I know it sounds disgusting and some people say, oh, I couldn't do that. But believe me, when they've eaten a few of your lettuces, it becomes very easy just to snip them in half and, and know that you're doing some good for wildlife. And uh, just on the sowing front, I mentioned at the start, all my uh, early tomatoes are now up in the propagators. Put them in about a week ago. My early lettuce and cabbage, uh, my spuds and the pots are peeping as well. What about my potatoes? And I followed your tip. I put them into a dark place and they have wonderful shoots on them now. And I covered the ground with plastic. Can I put them into the ground this week? I would wait a little bit if I were you. Um, you know, if they're sprouting well, they'll be fine. Now, if your ground is really absolutely sodden and you think, I'm not going to be able to touch this ground for a couple of weeks, start them off in small pots. You know, a litre or two litre pot will be fine and then plant them out um, afterwards because then, you know, you can actually cover them from frost if necessary. But we are going to get bad weather at the end of this week and then possibly more frost um, the following week. So okay. just play it by ear, you know. Mm. The way the weather is now with climate change, there's no hard and fast rules. 
So this is a good time. Get sowing. Get as much as you can yeah. in now, you know, uh, with the guidelines. They're all on the seed packets. And, yeah, you should be... I saw plenty of seeds in there, the likes of Woody's and Home Base at the moment. Yeah. They have good supplies. Yeah, um, but, but don't be too hasty sowing things like courgettes and cucumbers and pumpkins, things like that which grow very quickly because they need constant warmth to grow, which won't be easy to provide light and warmth right now, uh, and no frost and no checks. And if they get pot bound, they'll get a setback they don't recover from. You, you can actually wait until the middle of next month before you sow those and they'll be absolutely fine and they'll be much better for it. NikkiKyleGardening.com is where all the information is for the moment and right through the gardening year and we'll be talking to her again of course next month but for today on International Women's Day Nikki Kyle keep doing what you're doing brilliantly Thanks very much Jerry. Take Uh, care uh, Good luck to everybody and stay safe Thanks, Nikki. Nikki Bye. Kyle there, our uh, gardener, our go-to gardener on late lunch for many a day now. Um, just to comment there, Jerry. I think uh, the view you expressed on Mer- Meghan Markle is biased, really. Even if she knew she was uh, what she was getting into, why are women not allowed to stand up for themselves? Charles, who you admire, stop taking his son's calls. I've been appalled at the racism from the British media towards Meghan Markle. Jerry, don't turn into another Piers Morgan. I certainly won't, Anne. I promise you that. Thank you for your comment. Yes, on this day... A lovely, lovely song. So appropriate. Woman's Heart. Eleanor McAvoy and Mary Black. Love it. I love it. Listen to this. Just dropped into WhatsApp. Advice to Megan. Build bridges with your own family and don't criticise your in-laws. Advice to Harry. Man up and don't let anyone criticise your family. I like your message. Thank you indeed for sending it in to me. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. If you're just joining us on the show, you're very welcome. This uh, International Women's Day special on the show. Um, There's another one in there from Peter. Peter, I love you. I really do. I think you're great. The comments you send in to me, uh, I I enjoy reading them. I won't be reading them, though... um, to the general public but I do enjoy what you have to say yeah you know yeah, just read the start of it You, so you're a royalist Jerry. well we all have known that for a long time why are you defending them against Meghan they're the richest family in the world uh, money they took from other countries around the world look I, I, th- there's some merit in that yeah there certainly is truth in that for sure uh, but if you're a royalist you're as bad as them Jerry. I hope not I really hope not I have admiration for Charles I said it before I'd like to meet the Queen you know yourself she came to Dublin did a great job and we welcomed her with both arms didn't we detente Anglo-Irish relations Frank phoned in and was surprised with Jerry interviewing the CNN nun did he not watch the RT show last week about the nuns and priests and the selling of babies and uh, Frank has no time for them at all. Well, you know, Frank, you're entitled to feel that, of course, but I have to tell you that all nuns are not bad and all priests are not bad. Like in life, all people aren't bad. There's more good than evil. I want to tell you that. There's far more good than evil in the religious side of things in this world. That's a fact. It's life, like life, Frank. It's a reflection of life. And why shouldn't I interview a lovely sister who does nothing but good in our life for people, and the sisters in Siena who are living in closed life and pray for us all. I admire them, I respect them, and they're well due an outing on this radio station. They really are, and on this day in particular. And I want to make that clear, and I don't condone for one minute any priest or nun or religious or anyone who was involved in awful wrongdoing in the past. They are wrong, and it's totally unacceptable, and the consequences for people have been shocking. But there are good people in there. Just like in life, 
There are bad people in all aspects of life. Look at the stockbrokers. Look at Davy stockbrokers today. Look at the, what's come out about them. And there's more to come there. The financial crash. What are we talking about in this country? There's, you know, there's a lot of other things we should be ashamed of as well. And they're wrong. But anyway, Frank, thank you indeed. I do appreciate your message. Thank you for sending it in to me. Uh, what else have I there to come to? I have bits of papers here there never I should be getting to. Oh, yeah, I wanted to mention this just before I go to news and, and uh, uh, sport and weather at three. I'm halfway through my 40 days walking for Slav. 40 days and nights for Slav. Today is day 20. So when I walk today, I will have completed half of the 40 days. And we have big news on the fundraising front we're going to bring to you tomorrow. I'm just thrilled about this. I'll tell you the story on the show tomorrow. A uh, real good turn done by a friend of mine. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give a little clue. I will. I'll tell you what it's about. A friend, I have a good friend called Adrian Hillman. And he is the man behind the St. Margaret Celtic Supporters Club. Not a great year for Celtic, especially with the blue side of Glasgow winning the title yesterday. But these are good people and they raise a lot of money for charity. And I can tell you, they've done something really great for Slav. And I'm going to tell you about it. Adrian's going to have a chat with us tomorrow on the show. But anyway, today is day 20. If you can do anything for Slav, it will be appreciated. GoFundMe.com, Oxygen for Slav. You know the drill at this stage. And I'm away for the halfway mark. Walk just after the show today. Still to come on late lunch, Yemi Adenuga, the first black councillor, speaking to me on International Women's Day. Kylie is my... uh, Star of the Week when it comes to Artist of the Week. Uh, but before all that, it's news, weather and sport at three. Yes, uh, your comments. Uh, Jerry. I dislike that saying, man up intensely. Le- yes, a listener was on to me there uh, by WhatsApp to say that Harry should man up. The meaning of man up is to be brave or tough enough to deal with a difficult or unpleasant situation. I've heard it in the past and it's a thing that was said to me as I was growing up at times when I had to as well. Um, Somebody doesn't like the saying. There you are. Uh, Thank you for your comment to late lunch this afternoon. Um, Another listener says, let's not forget whose son Harry is. Diana didn't fit into that institution either. If they don't talk to opera, who else would they talk to? Nobody else would listen to them, says Ella this afternoon. Thank you for that. Jerry, you know the old priest he interviewed a couple of times. He's in his 90s and he told a beautiful story about his rosary beads. I do know who you're talking about there. I wonder if he's still around. Would you get him on? As you say, some amazing priests and nuns out there and I admire them. There is bad in all walks of life. You're so right, Jerry. And uh, thank you indeed uh, for interviewing that lovely nun, says another listener. And back to that priest Previous comment. Oh, just after seeing that there. Uh, myself and my daughter are doing the 40 days walk for Slav and we're flying it. That's great to hear. Well done to you. I'm delighted. And uh, uh, we will be talking more about the walk at the halfway point on late lunch tomorrow. Now, my artist of the week is none other on International Women's Day than Kylie Minogue. Who else would it be? Yes, Kylie Anne Minogue was born on the 28th of May 1968 in Melbourne, first coming to prominence as tomboy mechanic Charlene Robinson in the Australian soap opera Neighbours. She played Charlene for two and a half years, from 1986 to June 1988, as her music career 
began to take off, she waved goodbye to the neighbours. Kylie is the eldest of three children in the family. He, she has a brother called Brendan. He's involved in TV production in Australia. And of course, you do know her sister, Danny, another singer and TV star. Kylie's vocal talent was first spotted at a benefit concert with other members of the Neighbours cast. And she was signed up by Mushroom Records, great name, isn't it, in 1987. Her first single, The Locomotion, was a huge hit spending seven weeks at number one in Australia. It subsequently became a worldwide hit, along with Got To Be Certain, and especially for you, from her debut album, simply called Kylie. Her second album, Enjoy Yourself, was released in 1989 and was a huge success, delivering a number of hit singles, including this one. Put your hand on your heart and tell me that your Oh, can't wait to see her again. Fantastic, isn't she? Yes, the pint-sized Aussie dynamo. Kylie Minogue, my artist of the week this week on Late Lunch. The story continues tomorrow in words and song. Yes, it's International Women's Day and I'm delighted to honour Kylie on this day as my artist today and of the week. Now, final break of the afternoon coming on the show and we round off this special day on Late Lunch in the company of the first black councillor elected in County Meath, Yemi Adenuga. Author, social entrepreneur, philanthropist, public speaker, life and confidence coach and she made history in May 2019 when she ran in the local Irish elections and won a seat making history as Ireland's first elected black female public representative and County Meath's first elected county councillor and she's on the line. Yemi Adenuga, hello. Hi, thank you so much for having me today. Not at all, we just had to have you because you are a history maker. Yemi, let me ask you this. What did it mean to you to win that seat? Oh my goodness, I I think it meant victory for not just myself, but for women in different parts of Ireland, um, for the issue of diversity and inclusion in Ireland. It meant possibility for anyone who is thinking about or considering stepping into politics. And it's a message, it's a clear message that if I, um, a migrant from Africa who has made Ireland home and who is a grandmother, if I am possible, then anybody's possible. Uh, so it, it's a strong message out there, especially for young girls who also want to be leaders, who are considering leadership that they can rise and they can step up and they can fly as high as they want, um, just being encouraged and motivated. Yeah. When you came to Ireland, did you ever believe that one day you would be, le- would be elected as a public representative? Was that a name of yours or how did it happen? Well, I didn't think about politics, not even only when I came to Ireland, but even before coming to Ireland. Um, I, I wouldn't have considered politics because, in all honesty, I thought politics and um, politicians are a different breed of people. <laughs> and it's ironic <laughs> now that I am one. Um, yes. But I'm delighted. <laughs> I'm delighted that um, a, a number of women um, like myself are out there bringing positivity and bringing change to politics. Um, I suppose uh, I've been involved in my community of Navan 
since moving to Navan from Dublin in 2004. I lived in Dublin for about four years and then moved to Navan um, in 2004. And I just fell in love with Navan. And I've gotten involved volunteering with various like um, community groups and also running a couple of projects myself for women and, and young girls and young people. And I think that's what Finnegill saw when they approached me in 2008 and asked me to run to represent the party in the local elections. Um, I'll be honest with you, my initial response was, oh, no, not politics, not for me. But I think after many considerations, I thought, listen, I have to walk my own talk because I encourage a number of my mentees and those who are in my training programs that you have to learn how to recognize opportunities, learn how to take opportunities and learn how to use opportunities well. And some of them did say to me, yeah, mate, time to walk your own talk. (laughs) <laughs> so after much um, conversation with my husband, I thought, yes, this is a bigger platform to do more of what I'm already doing in the community, bringing about a difference and in my community of Narvan. And the rest is history. And you feel, having been elected, that you are making a difference, that, you know, when you get that vote from uh, your constituents and you go in there, and I know it's been a difficult year with, you know, and not being able to meet up and uh, interact uh, in person, you really feel that this is another step up for you in making real change, affecting change? Absolutely. I think one of the great things is that that feeling of, um, the light you get when you're able to make a representation for a constituent and you get a positive feedback and you go back to them and you're able to give them that good news. Um, it, it's really great to see the joy on their faces. Now, they, they, as much as there are many wins, there are also many um, losses as well where you try so hard, you work so hard, mm. but unfortunately the structure does not allow for you to get the results that you're looking for. And then you have to be the bearer of that um, not so positive news, going back to a constituent and explaining to them uh, that uh, it's not a win on this one. And you're hopeful that maybe next time things might have improved and you'll be able to come back again with a positive yes. news. But overall, I think it's great um, to be able to hear the people. It is challenging. Um, it is time consuming. Uh, it's sad that um, local government is considered part time. Um, it is not. It takes up a lot of your time between checking mails and answering phones and checking your, your social media pages to ensure that you're responding uh, to all of the requests from constituents, and there are many of them. And most times you have to apologize for perhaps responding a bit late uh, because there's a lot to respond to. Um, but it is a delight to be able to respond to quite a number of them and, um, and, and meet the needs of uh, constituents. Yes, that, that, that is really good to hear. You're involved as well, like politics is one aspect of your life, but much more. Tell me about this mentorship programme uh, that's current with you. Uh, thank you very much. I, I suppose a number of the things that I do in my life are the result of my background. Growing up, um, I... I my father's family never thought myself and my sisters would amount to anything. And so I decided to take that and turn that into uh, a motivation for myself and for anyone that I, I encounter, anyone who allows themselves to encounter me. Uh, so for everything that I've learned over the years, even in my work as a counsellor, in building myself as a leader in the community and in different areas, I've decided to share that with as many people as allow themselves to encounter me. Uh, one of the things that uh, makes me do that easily is I want to go to 
to my grave empty. I want to be able to pour out everything I've learned. They say the grave is the richest place in the world because a lot of people die with their ideas and everything they've learned, not being able to share it with the world enough. So the mentorship program, it's called the YAML program. It's Yemi Adenuga Mentorship and Leadership Program. And I started running it a couple of years ago. I think COVID has enabled me to bring it online now. So January, we started the online version. It's going to run for a year online. Um, I have 50 people on the program this year who every month we meet. And then I I give them the uh, benefit of a one-on-one with me. Uh, So everyone is welcome to be part of it, my constituents especially, because it's part of what I offer. And then in June, I'm starting a political leadership mentorship within that program where I want women and young people who are interested in politics to be mentored. Some of the things I had to learn the hard way coming into politics for the first time, I want them to learn that quicker so they get interested in politics a bit quicker. They don't have to be politicians if they don't want to be, but just to step forward, get involved, volunteer, support in whatever form or shape or just take leadership positions within politics. So that's that program, the mentorship Mm. program. And I'm delighted. I have a lot of support, especially for the political leadership from colleagues of mine in politics. Oh, that's good to hear. Well, you've proved the doubters wrong within and without, and I'm sure you'll continue (laughs) to do so over the years ahead uh, on many more occasions, Yemi. Look, I have to leave it there. I just wanted to acknowledge you and your achievements and all you've done for so many people today on International Women's Day. Thank you so much for joining me on Late Lunch. Thank you, and happy International Women's Day to all the amazing women out there. I see you, I know you, and God bless you. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Yemi. God bless you too. Take care of yourself. That's Yemi Adenuga there, fantastic lady. And as you say, as you heard there yourself, uh, making our way in the world of politics. Well, that's it on Late Lunch on International Women's Day. Thank you for your company on the show, and thanks to all the wonderful women who joined us. Tomorrow, Paul Minot, Tony Conlon, and Adrian Hillman. He's coming next with The Drive and we leave you now in the company of Kim Carnes and Betty Davis Eyes. Happy International Women's Day. See you tomorrow 1.30. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Strahda Dundalk and Cavan. Our service departments are open with all HSC and government guidelines in place to keep you and our staff safe. Sales are click and deliver only through our website. Blackstonemotors.ie Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.